This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, my guest is AJ Wilcox, who is a LinkedIn ads pro. He founded B2Linked.com, which is a LinkedIn ad-specific ad agency. He started it in 2014. I have known AJ for a long time. This dude is amazing, and I'm super stoked to have him back on the show to catch up. He's an official LinkedIn partner, host of the LinkedIn Ad Show podcast, and he has managed among the world's largest LinkedIn ads accounts worldwide. He is legit my go-to if I ever have a question about LinkedIn ads. And I got to tell you... I, AJ, you've been the most uh, generous with your time and advice over all that time. I really appreciate it. Uh, a couple other things. He is a ginger like myself, uh, although I'm more of a hidden ginger. You're an out like out there and, and you can see it. You're a ginger uh, and a triathlete. Holy crap. I didn't know that. Uh, he lives in Utah, has four adorable kids and his company car. Get this is a wicked fast go-kart. AJ, dude, welcome to Shareable. And I'm so glad to be chatting with you again. Oh, Jeff. So excited. Thanks so much for the invite. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been a little while since we talked, but you're one of those people where like after we got introduced, I felt like we I, I felt like I immediately had a connection with you. And like anytime I've ever called you, it's like it almost feels like I talked to you last week. And as soon as we hopped on this, I was like, dude, what's up? It's so great to see you again. So um, I'm really excited to catch up with you here, how things have been going, check in on the state of things in the LinkedIn ads world, because I think that's a place that um, I know you're deeply steeped in LinkedIn ads and the LinkedIn universe, but in my world, people ask me about it all the time. And even though I try to stay current, uh, it's very foreign to a lot of people I talk to. So I, I think this will be very informative. But first of all, what's been going on, man? How are things? Oh, things are great. I mean, since the last time we talked, uh, I you know the, the agency has grown significantly. We're now 15 people. We have an office, a CFO, a sales team. Whereas you know, the last time we talked, I, I think I had maybe one employee. <laughs> so we, we're seeing some pretty cool growth. That's and uh, yeah, just we keep bringing on bigger and bigger uh, client accounts. Um, we just keep getting better at what we do. Yeah. I really also think that you got into what you're doing at the exact right time because LinkedIn has really matured as a platform um, where I think for a very long time, it was kind of offset. It was like yeah, we know that that's professional and we know that it's important. But I think one of the turning points is once they started incorporating more video on the platform, specifically LinkedIn Live, and I think the exclusivity of that to a certain extent, I think really got people thinking about it. And that combined with all of the toxicity we began to see on Facebook and Twitter, people were like, okay, where's my safe space to just like connect with people and not deal with all this nonsense? And while there's some of that on LinkedIn, it's it's by and large been sort of a safe space. So you really got in at the right time for this. Oh, yeah. And it was so funny because back in 2014, I felt like I was late to the game. And but I also looked around and said, OK, you know, early on in my career, I was a big fan of SEO. I was really into Google ads. And those markets were already very capitalized on. There were yep. plenty of people who were very well known for it. And I couldn't break through and so I use that as an example or as my template for, okay, I want to do the same thing, but with LinkedIn ads, I felt like I was late to the game, but everyone I approached, they knew what LinkedIn was. They already had trust in the network, which helped the conversation, but they didn't know anything about the ad side. 
So I was in late enough that I, I could capitalize off of the trust that people already had with LinkedIn. And then, you know, got to teach them about the ads part and the value there. Well, I think the other thing that it maybe in hindsight makes more sense or like is probably more clear, I guess, is that because search and social are such different activities, social being more of an interruptive kind of method and search being an intent driven thing, people go to search, they say, I'm looking for X. And then an ad shows up, they're like, oh, well, that's contextually relevant to what I was looking for. Whereas with social, you're like, I came to see content and friends. And then an ad pops up. The early days of LinkedIn ads were very like display billboardy type thing, as I remember. And you've been there to actually learn how to use those and make them effective. But now we're in a whole different place with LinkedIn ads. So one of the places that I thought would be a really good place to start because LinkedIn ads is kind of foreign to people is could you kind of go through the long and short history of LinkedIn ads from when you kind of started to where we are now? Like, where did it start? What were the common conceptions at that time that are no longer that way? I remember it as being LinkedIn ads were very expensive. They're really expensive for the click-through rate. The targeting wasn't that great. There was no remarketing. Like that's, I think, how a lot of people may still think of LinkedIn ads, but I think a lot has changed. So kind of catch us up, tell us where it started and, and kind of where we are now. Yeah. So the platform came out officially in 2008 and it wasn't a self-service platform, at least not initially. Um, you had to talk to a LinkedIn rep. They had a minimum in order to work, you know, in advertising the platform, you had to commit at least, uh, I think it's 25 K for the quarter. And the only ad format that was available were just the text ads that were, you know, there's a, a block over on the right rail when you're on desktop. Uh, I, I, they didn't have a mobile app back then. So that makes sense. And you were shared with, with two other advertisers. And from the very beginning, uh, the minimum bid that you, you could have in order to advertise was $2 per click. And at the same time, Facebook was like less than a cent per click on average. And Google, I mean, depending on industry, but uh, people were paying significantly less than a dollar per click. So LinkedIn ads have always been expensive. Then fast forward to 2013, they came out with sponsored content. This was when they released the news feed officially. And because of that, we had posts now, and then the ability to do ads in between the posts that they called sponsored content. They were sponsored updates back then. Uh, along the way, you know, it's funny, I, I gave them feedback early on, like, hey, we need conversion tracking, because it's really helpful to know, like, where you're at at a quick glance. Um, we want retargeting. And I gave them that feedback, and, you know, early on, they were just kind of like, no, we think our advertisers have already figured out like ways around these things. And we don't yeah. think they need that. Uh, now we have them and, you know, no one's ever come back and said, you were right, but I, I feel it. I feel like I was right. You know what? No <laughs> one may have said it to you officially from there, but I'm going to say it to you just so that you get to claim that at some point somebody says to you, you were right. Re with, uh, socialize without remarketing. And we're going to talk about remarketing and LinkedIn and things like that too. But like, you were right. Just so it was said to you. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, and then we fast forward to, to today. I mean, it's it's very much a modern platform. It's still missing several of the, the accoutrements that we're, we're used to on other ad platforms. It doesn't have like day parting or ad scheduling. Uh, the interface is still it's difficult clunky. to, yeah, it's clunky. It's a great word for it. Um, but we have, we have conversion tracking. We have uh, retargeting. We have a whole bunch of other um, like list uploads and, you know, it's, it's a modern ad platform and it's gotten quite good. But 
as it's gotten good, it's also gotten increasingly more expensive. And now we're paying, it's usually between about eight to $12 per click, which is still significantly higher than Facebook. But now I think marketers have caught up and, and we, we understand how to get value out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because when you're, you were talking about like bringing up remarketing to them uh, kind of back in the day, that was as we were at the early stages of what I would call like the golden age of social advertising. I remember during that like 2013 to 2017, 2018, that window of uh, even almost up to 2019, I would say, you actually saw uh, the, the use of remarketing and being able to build out some like really amazing and complex funnels, that sort of stuff. And was really working well. Like I had some campaigns that were returning return on ad spends in like astronomically high. Um, like I had one that, that reached 48. So $48 <laughs> in you getting, you know, putting in a dollar and taking out $48. Like it's absurd. It's, it's a money printing machine. But yes. Those days have sort of started to, it seems like they're coming to a close GPDR, GDPR, GPD, you know what I'm saying? That one, yeah. the thing. Uh, and then there's the California one. And then there's, you know, a lot of movement towards people getting some say over what happens with their data. And then the iOS 14 release that allows. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that fundamentally shifted things. So LinkedIn being late to the remarketing game kind of caused them to miss a lot of that window. What is, what does it look like now? You're on the real deep inside. This is like real inside baseball stuff, but what does it look like now that that kind of world of remarketing has been pulled back a little bit? Are we going back to more of like a brand marketing sort of thing on LinkedIn like we are kind of everywhere else? Not quite, but you know, like you mentioned, LinkedIn was very late to the game. And so they, they missed a lot of value along the way. By the time they finally came out with what they call their website retargeting uh, segment, it was 100% cookie based, which means, you know, it, cookies days are numbered, we know. And so it, unless they significantly change the technology, it probably won't work at all in a couple of years. Um, and it was still pretty expensive. Like, you know, you might be paying six to eight bucks a click for traffic. And then you might, your retargeting might still be four to $6 a click. So usually I love with, with retargeting how the costs are, are so much lower, but LinkedIn didn't discount it all that much, which yeah. seems like a waste. Um, so their website retargeting has always been weak. And, and I almost don't even recommend it to people. I mean, unless you're spending a big budget on LinkedIn, because you know, LinkedIn's not the platform that you go and spend time. And so much of the value of retargeting is just being in front of your users who are, who are engaged and stay top of mind. And so what we find is sending traffic from LinkedIn, where the targeting is amazing, we know exactly who we're getting to our, our landing page, then retarget them across Google and Facebook, where the technology is better, it's cheaper, they spend a lot more time. So anyway, that's, the, that's my approach to website retargeting. Mm -hmm. But then in just the last couple of years, LinkedIn have kind of gotten on top of their game, and they're doing event-based retargeting. So now if someone triggers a form inside of your ad or they watch at least 25% of your, your video ad yeah. uh, or they visit your company page, uh, all of those are, are things that now, regardless of cookie, because you're logged in, LinkedIn knows exactly who you are, uh, we can now retarget based on those. And those I definitely recommend. So I have this graphic that I've uh, that I often would show in pitch meetings or inside of like any sort of a situation where I needed to kind of 
throw down the gauntlet and show people like this guy knows what he's talking about. And it's, it's this giant complex web that shows the interconnectedness of a funnel. And it looks like a web rather than a funnel. I'm going to, I'll send it over to you after this, but it was like my, like, it was my like, boom, this guy knows what he's talking about. And it's a lot of what you were talking about, which is that it used to be that you could take all of the networks and kind of have them work together, right? Like if you could get someone to your website, then you could remarket across Pinterest and across TikTok and across everywhere that there was a remarketing pixel that did website remarketing. If you could just get traffic to the website, you can then remarket across all of it. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like the strategy has really shifted towards each individual network is going to be where that remarketing funnel happens. So you're going to have a LinkedIn uh, funnel where maybe you have somebody watch a video as the top of the funnel, then maybe you remarket to them with a secondary video on LinkedIn for both of these. And then maybe a week later, they come back and you give them the call to action to drive them to your website. But you now have to have that across LinkedIn and across Facebook and across all of the other ones. Whereas before you could kind of do middle and bottom of the funnel across others and take like the cheapest and most, you know, highly targeted direct route at the top of the funnel. Um, is, does that kind of mirror and match what, what your experience has been? Totally. And because of that, I mean, I know this is on a different topic, but Facebook has been fighting the iOS 14 update so hard. And I, I just don't understand it because they're the ones who stand to actually gain the most. Uh, you know, Facebook, they have their walled garden and you're always logged in, which means you don't need the cookie. I mean, the cookie is going to persist. And so they're going to have the best data, the best way to, to track and retarget anyway. So I don't know why they took out a full page ad against Apple and, you know, and the Wall Street Journal or whatever. Like it's, they're going to do great. It means everyone's got to walk away from tools like, uh, like AdRoll and you have to invest you know, fully in a retargeting strategy on Facebook. And then you have to go and do the same thing on Google and on LinkedIn. Yeah. I guess I, I, if I was in their shoes, the thing I would probably worry about is the, the ad budget getting fragmented. Whereas before you could, you could take up sort of like the behemoth amount of the budget now, because your funnel has, you have to do top of the funnel activity on other sites. It, it may just be part of it. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Cause you said something earlier about like the budgets and like who you recommend it to who, who do you think are good candidates for LinkedIn ads these days? Because I remember that there was a time I can't, it might've been you that said this to me. Cause I remember I had you back on the true voice media podcast, like forever ago. And it was either you that said this or somebody said this that I remember it, but it was like, if you don't have a $2,500 a month budget or no, I'm sorry. It was, if your product isn't worth $25,000 or more, like if you don't stand to make $25,000 or more, from whatever you're doing, you probably don't belong on LinkedIn ads. It's like, you don't sell like $20 socks on LinkedIn or something like you have to have something where the payoff is pretty high. Has, has the sort of, um, has, has the opportunity for using LinkedIn ads opened up any since we last kind of dug deep into this, or is it still kind of selected for the, you know, the Microsofts, the IBMs, the Accentures and like companies of that size, or is it small business friendly now? Like it hasn't been in the past, like who should be using it in 2021? Yeah. So yes and no. It, it has, it's gotten easier because we as marketers are getting more technically savvy and uh, our sales teams are getting better at what they're doing. We're optimizing, uh, but at the same time, costs have increased. So what we tell people is if you have a lifetime value or a deal size of at least 15,000, then LinkedIn ads makes great sense. And because the clicks cost so much, I wouldn't recommend any budget less than about $5,000 a month in media, just because like by the end of the month, you want to make sure that you have 
good data that tells you what to do and is statistically significant. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of the time that's going to be business to business lead generation who have these larger deal sizes, but we've also found it to work especially well with recruiting, like hiring efforts, as well as uh, uh, higher education, like MBA programs. I've always been surprised that recruiting has not been a more uh, enthusiastic adopter of social ads, because it seems like of all of the different things that you could potentially be using social ads for, that recruitment is actually one of the, it, it seems like one of the most straightforward, especially in using a funnel, right? And especially on a site like LinkedIn, because yes. you can get that top of the funnel. Here's who we are as a company. You could talk about the culture. You could talk about the benefits. You could talk about the mission, the purpose, all the different things. And then your call to action is an application. And that, and, and especially when you compare that against the cost of like recruiters and all of the things that go into bringing on a new employee, it would seem to me like a, that, that's just like a, that's an easy win. It's a no brainer. It absolutely is. And LinkedIn has a recruiting product. So they're in touch with every recruiter out there, every HR department, and they sell their advertising product into them. Like, hey, when you buy this recruiter license, you know, add some on for some media and we'll advertise your jobs. And what we find is like what they do, it's, it's actually pretty crappy. Like the kind of advertising they do is very restricted compared to what we can do on the marketing side. Mm-hmm. And so every time we, you know, we go head to head against a recruiter, we always get a lower cost per qualified candidate. And uh, anyway, but recruiters, uh, if they're in-house, they like it. If they're you know, paid on what they close, they don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and the shame of it is because it has that like sort of like LinkedIn stamped endorsement on it, people are going to be uh, more willing to, to put their dollars in there than they might an external when realistically you work with a, an agency or somebody that like really specializes. And this is something I've said all the time about like hiring SEOs or hiring like social ad people. I'm like, use an agency or a specialist, like do not hire that in-house because you need people who are constantly on top of that and looking for what's changed, what's working, what did I learn from this campaign that I can apply here? And when you have somebody in-house, they're kind of stuck in that silo of like, well, this is what we do for us. And you lose all that perspective of, of all the things that are happening there. So let yeah. me ask you this. Um, there was related to the question I just asked you about, which was, you know, about who should be using it in 2021. Um, if we look at LinkedIn as a competing ad product now with all the things that are going on with data privacy, and you're looking at the different sort of like minimum buy-ins, minimum budgets. Um, when you compare it to like Facebook or Twitter or any of the other things out there, why, why would you recommend, and obviously you have a, you have a bias towards LinkedIn ads because what you do, but, it, but as unbiased as you can about it, uh, why should someone use LinkedIn ads instead of something else? Like why should they use LinkedIn instead of Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or wherever? Yeah. The vast majority of clients we work with, when they come to LinkedIn ads, it's because they've already tried and maxed out and optimized both their Facebook and their Google. So I'll, I'll compare to those really well. On, uh, on Google, especially, you're, because people are, event, are sorry, intent-driven when they come to you, and, and it's based on keywords, they're going to have a really high-quality kind of lead by the time they get to the sales team, but they're not qualified for the most part. And if you're selling something that's a, a high ticket item, the sales team is going to tell you, you know, over and over, hey, we're getting a lot of tire kickers and mom and pops. Like, can we, can we get people who are actually like have a budget for what we do rather than just interested in it? And so LinkedIn is a, a, 
you know, pretty obvious choice there because the targeting lets us, we lose the ability to target them by what they're currently looking for. But what we gain is that ability to say, hey, if you're of this company size, chances are you have the budget. And if you have this title or this seniority, chances are you're the decision maker. And so when you look at, across Google and, and LinkedIn, we find that you know, LinkedIn uh, on Google, they, the sales team will throw out 90% of the leads. And on LinkedIn, they only have to throw out 10%. So you look at those costs. Got it. Yeah. So it's better bang for the buck, obviously. Yeah. And same thing with Facebook, considerably cheaper, but you got to throw out 95% of the leads because you couldn't adequately tell if they were the right kind of company. So on, um, on, on, so looking at a couple of these alternatives, right? Not, not as like, um, just to, to kind of set the stage. When you look at paid search, paid search and SEO, organic search, are typically two things that you're doing together, right? You're thinking about how do we organically increase our ranking, get to the top of Google, and at the same time, let's also maximize by taking up some of that paid and, and uh, promoted space that's right above it, right? When you use Facebook, there's a lot of opportunities to use organic content to remarket in paid advertising. I've never known the answer to this, and I'm really glad I have you here today because I think you'll know about this. How does organic LinkedIn and paid LinkedIn work to do they, I guess, do they work together first? And if they do, how do they work together? Is there an opportunity to use organic LinkedIn to help improve the results of, that we have in paid and vice versa? Short answer is no, organic does not play very well with paid on LinkedIn. Interesting. Yeah. What we find is uh, on, on Facebook, you could run ads from your, a profile that represents you. But on LinkedIn, we can't boost our own, like, you know, if I had a share from my personal profile, I can't boost that. It's relegated only to company pages. Um, and then what you see is, you know, in the ad, you'll see a, a, the name of the company, you'll see their logo, and then you'll see the number of company page followers. Well, one of the biggest things that we have to go, get over, like a, a, a hump, is when someone has very few company page followers, there's, there's a, a lack of trust there, a lack of social proof. Yeah. And so the one piece that we have is like, hey, try to get your company page followers up organically so that our ads are going to perform better. But other than that, there's, there's so little of an interplay. And you know, coming from Facebook ads experience where they make it really easy and- yeah. It's great. Uh, it, it's super disappointing. What about like if your company page posts videos? Can you remarket against that? Or you have a, a company page post on you know on LinkedIn? Uh, can you like can you amplify those and then remarket against that? Like, are there any opportunities to do things like that where maybe you do it more on a content basis than than um, than on like the, I guess on the the page visibility side of things. Uh, you can retarget people who have visited your company page. Okay. So not necessarily they've seen a certain post, but just because you've come to the company page, like I can put you in an audience. With video though, there, it's, it's a little bit of a nuance. Uh, you can only retarget video viewers who were served an ad. So you couldn't put that same video on your general company page and collect audience. Uh, uh, it has to be part of an ad, which I think is stupid. Well, maybe in like three or four years, we'll do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, and you will say, yeah, three, four years ago, right after our podcast, I told LinkedIn that they should be doing this and they just put it out there and no one ever told me I was right. And I'm going to be like, AJ, you were right. <laughs> you're right. 
you were right. Um, so what 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 is the deal then with remarketing on LinkedIn? Are you bullish on it? Is it? I know you mentioned like a lot of times you you don't recommend it, but do you see it trending in a direction where you think it's going to be something that's really worthwhile and useful for people that are thinking of doing LinkedIn ads? Would you recommend a, a, a remarketing only campaign ever? Like what's what's your general impression of remarketing on LinkedIn? Yeah. So there are two different kinds of retargeting and remarketing you can do. One is the website retargeting where you're relying on people coming to your website. That I think has, uh, I'm not very bullish on. It's, you know, it's always been kind of weak. And now with iOS 14, it's got its legs pretty much cut off. But uh, with the, the new event-based retargeting, I think this is absolute game changer for LinkedIn. Why wouldn't you build audiences based off of who's opening your forms and who's submitting them and who's watching your videos. Even if I'm not planning on actually using that audience to, to advertise, of course I want those building. So I, I'm, I'm huge on those. And you know, they're gonna have a 100% match rate because by the time LinkedIn allows you to see an ad, they already know who you are. And so you know, they, they, they know, you know who clicked on what and when, they keep all that on the back end. So, 100% match rate is way better than the you know, 40% or whatever they have now. Yeah, yeah. So let me, uh, there was a thing you, I remember you said to me about LinkedIn ads that I've never heard anywhere else. And I don't think I ever tried it on Facebook, but I remember you saying it on LinkedIn and it, it was always extremely compelling to me. You said you would start off by running an ad with a cost per click and you would A-B test it across a bunch of them. And when you found the one that worked, and, and, you know, this part so far, not unfamiliar for, you know, performance marketers, but one of the things you would do is you said you would switch over to a cost per impression model once you found the one that worked. Is that still a strategy that works today? Yeah. So I'm up with that. Like, how did you even think like, oh, this might work and help to drive costs down? It's so interesting because when, when I was in, in Facebook ads and in Google ads, uh, the network is, is pretty kind whether you're bidding by cost per click or cost per impression, your effective cost per click is about the same because it's all based on the network's averages. Uh, on LinkedIn though, they kind of gouge you when you, when you bid by cost per impression. Um, so what we find is the average click-through rate of, an, of a sponsored content ad is about 0.4%. So a little bit less than half a percent. Mm -hmm. Cost per impression bidding results in a higher cost per click. Uh, all the way up until you have like a 1% or higher uh, click-through rate. So what that means is your ad has to be performing in the top 10% of click-through rates uh, before it actually becomes cheaper to, to bid that way. So it, it's not very kind. So we find that the most, you know, majority of the time, we get a better set of costs by bidding low on cost per click. But as soon as we see that our click-through rates are you know, two and a half times above benchmark average, that's when it usually makes sense to start bidding by the impression. And that gets us a, the lowest effective cost per click. I love that you even like figured that out because like, I love to tinker with things and figure out how things work. I just love that you uncovered that. And, and the proof in the pudding there is that like, I literally remember that from years ago when you told me that, like yeah. that stuck out so much. I was like, damn, that's smart. Um, there's a TED talk. Um, and I forget the guy who was, who did the Ted talk, but I remember that the talk was called where good ideas come from. I think that's, 
or maybe where creativity comes, talks about the idea of like, essentially people assume that like good ideas are this like light bulb moment, right? Or like you get struck by lightning or an apple falls on your head and aha, Eureka. But really a lot of times where good ideas come from is by being surrounded by ideas and, and perspectives and uh, inputs that have nothing to do with what you're what you're talking about, what you're interested in. And it's this sort of recombining of ideas from different places. So I've known you as like the LinkedIn guy for, you know, since we got introduced and you've always been my go-to resource and you always have this, every time we talk, you introduce me as something that I had no idea it existed. I'm curious. The, so I know the, the environment in this Ted talk that he's talking about are pubs. I know that that's not your place where you're going to go for your creativity, <laughs> but I'm curious what sort of interests and things you have outside of the LinkedIn ads, because so much of what I know about what you do is, is in the LinkedIn world, but there's no possible way that, that you come up with some of the creative things that you do without having inputs from other places. And I'm curious, what are the other things that you kind of dabble in that have influenced your ability to be effective as a LinkedIn advertiser? Oh, I love this question. Early on in digital marketing, I took, uh, you know, I graduated in 2008, right during the middle of the crisis when you know, I had a year's worth of digital marketing experience, but it still took me three months to get a job that was, you know, paying $11 an hour part-time. Oh, wow. So I had, I had the lowest of the low at, at a digital marketing agency, but the job was creating the structure of, of Google AdWords accounts at the time. And so what I would do is I would build these keyword lists and I would uh, organize them and, and so I, I'm super anal about like nomenclature of campaigns and structure of accounts because of that. And so when I went to test LinkedIn ads for the first time, you know, I just joined a, a, a big B2B company and my CMO, my new boss says, hey, we just started a pilot with LinkedIn ads here a couple of weeks ago, see what you can do. I jumped into the platform and I didn't know anything about it, but my first thought was, okay, structure this like a Google ads account. And that was you know, really the beginning of my strategy uh, uh, that has worked so well over time. It's this like every, every campaign is micro segmented. It's all organized. And so when something outperforms, I can feed it. And when something underperforms, I spot it and I can pause it or, or turn it down, starve it. And so that's, I mean, really the applicability from, from all the other ad platforms has lent so much to LinkedIn. The other thing I'll say is math. Like I absolutely love data. I love Excel. And, you know, I, I would go and play with any data set in, in like data science world just for fun. But because the data sets I have are big LinkedIn ads data sets, then the insights that I find are of course related to LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting, man. Um, so we're, we're, coming to the end of our time here together, I want to talk to you about uh, two other things uh, in, in the time we have remaining here. The first is I, um, you started a podcast since the last time we talked. Yeah. And one, I want to know how it's going, give you a chance to talk a little bit about it, because I think for anybody that's been listening to this and wants to know more about LinkedIn ads, uh, I can't endorse you strongly enough, but uh, I would definitely encourage them to go and listen to your show because they are going to learn something. But what what uh what prompted you to decide to start a show you know you know i would think linkedin ads is there enough to have a whole show to keep going but apparently right. there is you're you're doing it so so talk a little bit about what's what's uh tell us about the show i mean i've been a huge podcast medium fan for you know, the last 6 years and 
I'm always subscribed to too many shows. I have to listen to everything at two and a half times speed. Yeah, to me like too. Get through. Yeah, it's great. And so because I love the medium, I've always said, I'd really like to be a podcast host. But I had exactly the same reservation that you had, which is, is it a broad enough topic to have a whole show on? And so I, I kept putting it off. But uh, back in like 2019, I, I was on the, the social media marketing podcast. The one yeah, uh, Michael Stelzner, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, 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 I love heard Michael you on that episode. I, I, oh, cool. I dip, I dip into that now and again, but if I ever see your name on a thing, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta stay current. So I'll, I'll check it out. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but actually during that conversation, I, I love Michael Stelzner. I have so much respect for him. I'm glad to call him a friend and a mentor. And, and I, I said, you know, we were talking about podcasts, obviously. And I was like, I really want to start one. But I just don't think that there's enough room for a whole podcast about LinkedIn ads. And he said, AJ, that's why you need to do it. It's like, no one else is doing it. And it's so easy to, to be set apart. He's like, think about it. it. You know, if you were running a podcast for a couple of years and you only had 500 listeners, you'd be really disappointed. But think about it. What happens if, you know, five of those 500 listeners are in the Fortune 500 and command large spends on LinkedIn and you end up landing these enterprise level accounts. Yep. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I'm going to start this thing. And for the first six months, I'm not going to look at, at listenership numbers because I know I'm going to be dif- disappointed however it is. Um, and I've actually kept that up. I'm now a year and a half in and I don't look at the numbers. I just, the way that I approach it is uh, when I'm talking into the mic, I pretend that I'm talking to one of my employees and I'm training them. So literally, awesome. if, if you listen to the podcast, it is a masterclass on LinkedIn ads. That's we get up. as geeky as we've been on this conversation and even more. And, and I just, I provide all the value for free. So it's, it is geeky, but it's good. And my sales team tells me they can tell, you know, weeks when I don't have an episode come out by the lead volume numbers. So it's wow. working for the company. That's what's up, man. I, I often say to people, because people talk to me about podcasting a lot because I've been doing it since 2013. Um, I like to think I'm pretty decent at it. And people ask me questions about it all the time. And they're like, you know, should I start a podcast? I'm thinking about starting a podcast here. And the thing I always say is like, look, like you should start a podcast. There's a lot of reasons to do it. But my personal feeling is it's really difficult to become a really popular podcast and monetize and get um, sponsorship and all that. So if you're doing it for that reason, like I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm just going to say, no, it's going to be really, really hard there are so many really great reasons to podcast and there are reasons to podcast. Even if you literally have one listener, because if, if you do a show where maybe you bring on guests, for instance, you are building and enriching a relationship with that person that you're talking to. Sometimes you have a business development opportunity with the person you're talking to. Sometimes you have the opportunity where they're going to make referrals for you because they just enjoy it. They're going to promote it. If you're doing it just for yourself, you're also, you know, strengthening your own voice. You're giving yourself a creative, like there's just a gazillion reasons to do a podcast. But if the reason is I want to become famous and well-known and monetize my show and, and, you know, say that this is sponsored by square square uh, space and Casper, then like, okay, but it's going to be an uphill battle because the, the shows that get that are like a celebrity says, I'm going to do a show and it jumps to the top of iTunes because people know them. If you are just passionate about a topic, it's probably not going to happen. But to your point, if you have 500 listeners and five of them become clients, it's all you need. That's 1% right there. 1% yeah. of your audience decides that they want to have a conversation with you about, uh, about doing work. It's totally worth it. So I, I applaud that you did it. I'm glad that you did it. Um, and I love that 
you know, I'm always amazed by your generosity with this extremely niche topic. That's an extremely like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money to be made in this topic. And I've just always been uh, really appreciative of how generous you are with it. The last question I want to ask you about, uh, we talked about this. We were briefly talking about this before we went live. Um, but you're so deep in the world of LinkedIn ads, you know, so much about it and it's constantly changing and you're keeping up. Have you thought about what you would do if LinkedIn ads say went away? Let's say LinkedIn just fell off. People stopped using it. Or let's say that um, a new AI technology comes out and all of a sudden running effective LinkedIn ads just becomes the job of the robots. And, and despite how amazing you are at it, the robots are just putting you out of work. Have you thought about what the backup plan is? Like what, you're, what you would do if you couldn't do LinkedIn ads? Yeah, I've thought about this extensively. I'm a big fan of diversification. I like to think of myself as like a decent business person. And I realized when starting this agency focused on only a single ad platform that I was hitching my wagon to something. And if that something ever goes away, I have nothing. <laughs> and what I've decided is, you know, LinkedIn ads are powerful because of the targeting and, and because the audience that's there. But if LinkedIn had a competitor, someone who, who came out with something similar and it was getting wide adoption. I, I wouldn't hesitate to go and hop on there and start running client ads there. Uh, I'm big on performance. I, I like LinkedIn, but I'm not so you know, uh, married to them and feel so loyal to them that I couldn't do anything else. So any ad platform that's going to perform for our clients, we'd take it on. So what I've decided is you know, if, we're, if we can't be a LinkedIn ads agency, uh, we'd be a B2B performance agency. We, we'd do everything SEO, PPC-wise, uh, Facebook, Quora, TikTok, whatever it takes to get B2B performance. I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, thank you for coming on to my show. It's so cool to be face-to-face and talking with you. I know all of you out there are listening, but I get to be face-to-face with AJ over Zoom. Uh, and it's just, it's really great to see you, man. I always love your energy. I love your spirit. I love how generous you are. You're smart as hell. And it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to catch back up. Take this time in the show right now uh, let people know where they can be social with you. Let them know where they can get in touch with you, where they can hire you, where they can pick your brain, listen to your content, whatever it is that they, they want to reach out for and, and follow you or connect with you for. Now's the time of your show to unabashedly take the time and self-promote. Awesome. Well, if you want to listen to the podcast, I highly recommend it. Uh, just search for LinkedIn ads and whatever your podcast player is. The show's called The LinkedIn Ads Show. Uh, also, I mean, obviously you can follow me on LinkedIn and I'd love to connect with you there with, with one nuance that uh, I can't accept connection requests from people that I don't know who they are. So make sure to customize your request and say, hey, AJ, I heard you on Jeff's show. That's enough for me to make sure that, that we get connected. Uh, if you want to do business with us, I mean, just go to b2linked.com, um, hit any of the calls to action on that website. That'll get you in touch with us and we'll help you explore you know, the best performance options. Awesome. And I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. So it makes people, uh, it makes it really easy for people to get in touch with you and do all that. All you have to do is if in your podcast player, whatever you're using, swipe left, swipe right, whatever it is that, that brings you the show notes, uh, and then just tap on the links that'll get you in touch with AJ. I'll make it really easy for you. Um, and, and again, I, I give AJ my highest endorsement. So follow him everywhere, connect with them. He's a really good dude. Um, AJ, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, you're great. Uh, the show had so much like insanely amount. I, I already have like three people that I know I'm going to send this to probably even before it's out. Uh, cause they're, they're my inner circle people, but, um, yeah, man, this show is awesome. It was the sort of show you want to tell people about, which I guess would make it shareable. 
Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.